Welcome back into the Royals Farm Report. My name is Joel Penfield, joined as always by Alex Duvall. How are you doing tonight? Uh, Joel, doing well tonight. It's our last week of school, so as of this Friday, I will be free for summer break for the rest of the summer and be watching a little more baseball, being uh, you know off work technically. I still got all kinds of work to do, but summer break is upon us, and which means baseball season is in full swing, so I absolutely cannot wait uh, for the next week to get by here. And my, my wife's last day of school is on Tuesday for her. And then it's going to be a busy week for, for my family. We're moving from Stillwater up to Kansas City. Uh, so it's like a little bit of a hectic time. All that's left in my living room is this chair I'm sitting in in the TV. So everything's getting packed up. We're, we're on the move north here pretty soon. And it's an exciting time for us. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I'm excited to have you up here in Kansas City. I uh, know you've been waiting for this for a long time, so happy for you guys. Congratulations again, and uh, hopefully you guys can get, get your work weeks um, all finished up here and get up here nice and safe this coming weekend. For sure, and, and it's so fitting that the weekend that we're moving back, Coffin Stadium is going back to full capacity. Uh, so that, that's a good feeling. My wife and I already have a, our, our game planned out, first game at the K, and got like two years for me and she hasn't been in a couple as well so so we're, we're excited about that the big league club is playing pretty well right now winning six of their last nine uh walk off on sunday and the monarchs unis that you know you know buck o'neill had a, a big smile on his face seeing that but good weekend down on the farm for these guys too we'll start in columbia and now let's let's be honest the canapolis cannonballers are not very good but the uh, Columbia Fireflies still took five of six from them. I know you mentioned that Columbia, uh, the Fireflies is one of the better nicknames in all of minor league baseball. I think the Cannonballers might might be a smidge better. Uh, so good good uh, minor league name matchup there. But uh, all uh, all that aside, Columbia takes five of six here. What was uh, some of your takeaways from the stuff you saw this week? Yeah, one guy that I continue to watch in Columbia is 21-year-old Venezuelan shortstop Michael Garcia. Michael Garcia is currently hitting 317 with a 134 WRC plus. And we referenced that a lot. And I mentioned this on Twitter the other day. WRC plus is basically, uh, it helps us understand what a hitter is doing um, in comparison to the league. So like AAA has been an offensive heavy league for a long time, whereas low A typically don't get a lot of offense. So like um, I, I posted a good example. It was, it, I can't remember who it was, but it was two hitters. It was like Ryan McBroom and Nick Lofton, maybe. I can't remember who it was, but um, their OPS were like two points different and their WRC Plus were like 30 points different. So like in AAA, having an 800 OPS, not that good. In low A, Michael Garcia has an 811 OPS and he's been 34% better than league average. So um, he's, he's hitting the ball really well down there. His strikeout rate is what continues to impress me. He takes, like an, he takes a pretty aggressive hack. And he's really cut down on the swing and miss this year. Uh, the power hasn't really come through yet. He's a longer kid, has room to develop. So uh, Michael Garcia has continued to be really good for Columbia. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep a really close eye on him all year. Yeah, the, the thing that jumped off the page for me was that strikeout rate. It's only 12.3%, and he's walking more right now uh, than he's striking out at 15.1% walk rate. For a 21-year-old kid, you know, did he get any run? Th this is his first... Season stateside, isn't it? 
Uh, no, he played for Burlington last oh, okay. year. I, I I'm sorry, he played for Burlington in 2019. Okay, I couldn't quite remember. But first full season showing for, for the kid, and he's he's impressed and done really well. We had him as one of our, you know, a dec- we had him de- decently ranked in like our – Like 22 maybe? Yeah, he was in – I know he was in our top 25. And he, he's proving us right right now, which is pretty fun to see. But yeah, the 811 OPS, 134 weighted run straight plus, 390 Woba too. So the kid's hitting the ball well, and you know he's a pretty, and we know he's pretty good defensively as well. So you, these are, are things that you love to see early on. Early returns are, are really solid for Michael Garcia. Yeah, and another guy we should mention, um, Tyler Tolbert hasn't had the year that he'd probably like just yet. Uh, but he did hit three triples this week. Um, last So as of last week, the league leader – I'm sorry, the Royals minor league leader in triples was one. There was like 15 guys with one triple. Tyler Tolbert, Tyler Tolbert goes out there and hits three triples this weekend, uh, giving him the lead of four. So a pretty commanding lead in the organization for triples right now. Yeah, and then Matt Still and A.J. Block, whenever they piggyback, good luck to anybody in that league because they have just been shoving it all, all season long. Yeah, Matt Still. Yeah, yeah, Matt Still almost has a 16K per nine, so that's almost um, two batters an inning. And then AJ Blocks is almost 15, so he's right behind him. Those two guys, they're just they're probably just too advanced for the for the league. AJ Blocks, 23 years old, so um, he'll move and he'll move up the ranks. We talk about this a lot. Is anytime you have a left-handed pitcher with a good changeup. You just kind of have to ignore the stats because that's something that a lot of guys can't handle at the lower levels. Um, really good changeups don't come around very often, and so when you have a guy with a good changeup, it's really hard for younger hitters to adjust to. So um, Chris Bubich led all of minor league baseball in strikeouts a few years ago is a great example of that. Marcelo Martinez dominating the lower levels is a good example of that. So A.J. Block, I think, could be pretty good, but we're just going to have to wait a while to see – Matt Still, on the other hand, is a 20-year-old who throws pretty hard. Um, so pretty good to see him putting up some strikeout numbers. I think he's a reliever long-term, but 20 years old and low A, you don't want to write Nang off just yet. No, not at all. Moving on to Quad Cities in the high A Central, they took four of five. Uh, they're making up a game. Or no, they, won, they won five of six. My bad. They played a doubleheader on, the, on Wednesday the 19th. All across the, the Midwest, a lot of those games got banged on, on that Tuesday the 18th. But five of six, again, uh, this team, they're one of the best teams in all minor league baseball across all levels at this point, at least record-wise, but they're playing really, really well. Uh, our guy Vinny still leading the organization. Homers at his seventh uh, of the year on Sunday. You know, just a casual one off the scoreboard, no big deal. Um, Asa Lacey turned in a really nice start after a couple weird, wild uh, starts where his command was all over the place. Seems like he's gotten that fixed to, to a certain extent, but some some good stuff from the River Bandits once again. Yeah, and it you know Vinny's been great down there, like you said, leading the organization and home runs with seven. Um, it would be I don't understand how you can collect so much pitching talent on one team and a lot of it college pitching. Um, even with the, you know, the international signings, Angel Zerpa, Angel Zerpa and uh, Johans Morel, this team has more pitching than maybe any minor league team in, in, in the game right now, just in terms of where these guys came from and the level they're at. Angel Zerpa, Asa Lacey, Will Klein, uh, Dante Biasi, Zach Hockey. 
there is so much. Drew Parrish is going to be an Olympian. I mean, there is so much pitching on this team, and a guy that's going to join us a little bit later, Christian Chamberlain, made his professional debut. So, you know, we'll get to Jonathan Bowen in a minute. Bowen goes down at Double A, and I was thinking about this the other day. Bowen goes down, and they're probably going to move Parrish up. I would guess it's either going to be uh, Parrish or Zerpa that goes up. But let's say it is Parrish. So you lose a guy in Drew Parrish in 15 innings this year. He's struck out 13.21 per nine. His ERA is 0.00. And they're not going to lose a thing because Christian Chamberlain is going to fill right in. So they have an unreal amount of pitching. It's really it's really not fair what the, the amount of pitching they have at that high A Quad Cities team. And you mix in the guy who's leading the organization in home runs, and Vinny Pasquantino, you mix in a first-round pick and Nick Lofton at shortstop. You mix in a guy like Suli Matias who was um, um, roaming the outfield before he got hurt. Um, and there's just there's just a lot of talent on that team. and They've been a lot of fun to watch so far. I find myself watching them more than I watch anybody else um, on a nightly basis. Yeah, Tyler Gentry's starting to – he had turned in a pretty good week as well. The strikeout rate's still really high, but we're still only 65 plate appearances in. So I think I, know, I think a lot of that was pretty early on for him. But a 143 way to run straight at plus, 838 OPS. Uh, the power is starting to kind of to come for him a little bit. And uh, he's just, it just adds more offense to a, you know, a team that can, they can bang. And they, and they one through nine in that lineup. They find ways to either to manufacture runs, frenzy hit, or just go bridge. It, it doesn't really matter. So it's very encouraging. And this is a team that's going to be competing for that high A central title and high, you know, all year long. Yeah, I didn't realize Tyler Gentry had a 143 WRC plus. That's really good. Um, and, and like you said, the power's been there, even if the strikeouts are up. But you mix in, like any minor league team, we're going to talk about this as the double-A team too. Anytime you can mix in a guy like Logan Porter, and Logan Porter is probably a non-prospect because he's 25 years old and high A. But Logan Porter has a 169 WRC+. plus. He has been absolutely fantastic at most, at pretty much everywhere. He's hit everywhere along the line that he's, that he's been in minor league baseball. He reminds me a lot of uh, Frank Schwindel where – Big first baseman. He's going to crush minor league pitching. Probably won't ever make it as a big leaguer. But you need those guys in the lineup because what they do is they take pressure off the guys who are expected to perform. So take a Nick Lofton, for example. Nick Lofton right now 70 WRC+. plus, So he's hitting 191. Nick Lofton isn't striking out much. He just hasn't really hit the ball Um hard enough to have a lot of good luck yet and that will come i'm not in any way worried about nick lofton but think about nick lofton three weeks in you're the first round pick you're supposed to be the guy if the river bandits were four and 13 instead of 13 and four whatever they are there'd be a little bit of pressure on nick lofton's shoulders to help the team hit through a slump but you mix in a guy like logan porter or an eric cole Eric Cole, a center fielder out of Arkansas, 131 WRC+. Plus. Guys that are a little bit old for the level, uh, Jimmy Govern, 125 WRC+. Plus. Again, 24 years old, high A. They go down there and rake, and they take the pressure off some of these guys. That We saw that with Nick Prado and MJ Melendez at high A in 2019. They won the championship, and we heard J.J. Piccolo talk about, you know, the – those two guys talk more about winning the championship than they do their individual struggles. And you can see it now that they're at double A because they're hitting, they're hitting, they're hitting. And it doesn't, you can't even tell that they had bad. And I say bad, 
horrific 2019s. Like the last time these guys stepped on a minor league field, they were horrific. And now they are raking. They're two of the best hitters at double A. Um, and, and, and it just goes a long way to have guys like Logan Porter, Eric Cole, Jimmy Govern in your system. So even if those guys are kind of NPs, they're non-prospects at this point, um, I want to give a shout-out to them for really carrying the load offensively outside of uh, Pasquantino down there at high A. Having organizational depth like that matters at any level. Anybody that's at the, the you know, they're, they're playing at that point. If they're in an NP or somebody, you know, that's way older for the level than they need to be, they're really playing for the love of the game at that point and taking on that quote-unquote veteran leadership role earlier in their career than they probably expected. But that kind of stuff matters in organizations across all of baseball, not just exclusive to the Royals. So it's, it is something that is cool to see, encouraging to see. And the Royals do like having guys like that at all levels. Uh, moving forward to the guys in AA, and I'll let you really take the lead on this one because uh, you got to watch the Northwest Arkansas Naturals in person, took four of five, only played five games. Whether the game on Wednesday or uh, Thursday got rained out and had, and they'll make it up on June 30th, but four of five, pretty good offensive showings uh, for multiple, uh, two or three of these games. Uh, you got to see them in person, so we're not, we're not watching on a screen. We, you got to see some live at-bats and stuff like that. Take us through it, man. Yeah, I want to. Let's start the with the. We'll save Prado Melendez for last. Um, Clay Dungan is a guy that Clay Dungan. I just I don't think I realized maybe how good the hit tool was, and and, and I kind of take it back to Josh Dye is another similar. So let's let's talk about Clay Dungan and Josh Dye both. Both of them in 2019 and their first runs at professional baseball posted great numbers in rookie ball, and Josh Dye even low A. Maybe even high A for Josh Dye. I don't have his numbers pulled up in front of me. But they weren't guys that you looked at and thought, oh, these guys are legitimate prospects in terms of, like, top 30 guys in the system. And then Clay Dungan, they roll him out there in big league camp, and he played a lot. And they ran Josh Dye out there, and Eric Longenhagen had him, like, number 20 in his Royals prospects over at Fangraphs. The work that those two did in their gap year here in the 2020 absent season is going to be the difference between maybe being a big league prospect and being like having like a big league career. Um, Clay Dungan is incredible. He is a like he reminds me of Nicky Lopez defensively, where he can probably man shortstop at the big league level, but he'll be a gold glove contender at second base he reminds me of kyle isbell offensively where the hit tool is pretty good um he doesn't strike out a lot he's actually been walking a lot more than maybe i thought he would hits the ball really hard i don't know that the tools will carry him to like 20 home runs but he could run into a few home runs and hit a lot of doubles um be an excellent defender at a non-premium position but probably, like Isbell could man center field, like Dungan could man shortstop, but he's going to be an elite defender on the corners or, in Dungan's case, at second base. So, um, like, just, I mean, if we have – Kyle Isbell was in our top ten prospects coming into the season. If we have another one of those guys in the system, that's outstanding. And Dungan is – he's getting ready to be 25 at A, so age is kind of working against him in terms of prospect value. But in terms of a guy that can come up and contribute to the big league level – outstanding uh rudy martin same same boat different story 25 years old double a 
I, I, I compared him to Nick Heath a little bit, and it's not perfect. No comparison's really perfect, and there's, you know, there's reasons that I like the comparison. There's reasons I don't. But the, the, the reason I kept bringing up Nick Heath, and there's some recency bias in this, is he strikes out too much for a guy who doesn't hit for a lot of power. He does walk a lot, but a lot of that is kind of maybe picking on minor league pitchers. Um, there's a good – there's a, he hits the ball – well when he does hit it really good speed good defender great teammate so maybe rudy martin can steal a cup of tea at at some point um but i really think organizational depth is maybe more um his thing but he is like elite organizational depth like if you have to have somebody filling in who isn't going to be a big league contributor for a long time he is like options number one and two to have on your team love rudy martin Hope the best for him. I hope that something there's there's a way for him to cut down on the strikeouts because if he can be like a like a Gerard Dyson or a Nicky Lopez type, where you're talking about guys who stop trying to hit for any kind of power and just go gap to gap and just and, and really focus on bats and ball skills, I think there's a way for him to carve out a role somehow. Um, Josh Dye, like I said, the work he put in throwing that sinker 91 is going to be the difference. That's the difference from being like an Alex Claudio where you have to be perfect all the time to like a Tim Hill where you can miss a little bit because the velo's actually there. Um, could not have been more impressed with Josh Dye, and I got an open-faced look at him. So I feel like I really got a, like a, an idea of what he's all about, and, and I don't think he's a top-20 prospect by any means, but he is still like a legitimate relief option moving forward. Um, Travis Jones looked impressive, but I've liked him for a while for really no reason other than he's a great, big, athletic dude. Okay. MJ and Nick Prado. I I mentioned it in the minutes this morning, the, our minor league minutes. I don't think it can be understated how good those two looked, and not just how good those two looked, because our first and second round picks, we expected them to look good. I don't think it can be understated the improvements they made since high A. And I've interviewed both those guys before. I've talked to Nick recently, just briefly, um, just enough to make contact with them, enough to know that they're both great human beings. And I say that for this reason. I don't think either of them would mind me saying that their 2019 seasons were not just horrific, but they were like, if, if, so if, if all three of those guys, Prado, Melendez, and Suli, would have bombed out, it would have been really, really, really bad on the organization. And so much so that, like, like somebody could have gotten – somebody may have gotten fired over that, right? Alec, the job that Alec Zumwalt and Drew Saylor and Mike, Mike Tosar, to an extent, have done in developing Prado and Melendez in the last year and a half – coming on two years, is organization changing. Everything Nick Prado hit was hit hard. MJ has always hit the ball hard because he kind of sells out for power, but he's doing it to a point now. He's walking more than he's striking out, and he's only striking out in 16% of his plate appearances. His swinging strike rate is also only 10%, meaning, again, every 10 balls he swings at, he only misses one. I don't think I've ever seen such a drastic change in such a short amount of time. And, and, and I'll even go to this point. 
we did um, kind of a numbers comparison just for fun. It's not science, super scientific. Basically, how many guys that have had seasons as bad as Prado and Melendez at high A, and specifically the Carolina League, how many of them have ever been that bad and gone on to have big league careers? And it was like none, not ever. Never, ever, ever, ever had a hitter been that bad and gone on to have a big league career, like a good big league career. These guys look like top 100 prospects again. And I don't know specifically what it is. You know, I know they were trying to help Prado get to the high fastball. Melendez, it was more pitch selection and yada, yada. But Nick Prado looked totally lost in 2019. He didn't look like he had any clue what he was doing at the plate, which was weird for a kid who was drafted on his on his intangibles and his swing and his pitch selection, et cetera. People compared him to Joey Votto a little bit in that regard. I've never seen it. I, I don't understand how they could make such drastic changes so fast. It almost makes you wonder if it's if if Wilmington wasn't the outlier in in a in a sense of it was so fluky for a for an entire year. Man, I don't know, but it was so much fun watching them. Um, Melendez, the ball he hit Sunday out, he literally flicked his wrists at a ball in the outer half of the plate and flicked it over the wall in right field. On a line. I mean, dude, he roped it. I mean, it, it was smoked out there. Um, J.J. Piccolo mentioned before the season that, like, Nick Prado hit, like, 15 home runs in spring training, and he's like, every other at bat, it was a double, a walk, or a home run and that guys didn't even want to pitch to him anymore. Cause he was so good. Um, and now we're seeing that his ISO is 393, which means his slugging is 393 points above his batting average. And he's walking in 20% of his plate appearances. Like we are literally seeing where every other at bat is either a extra base hit or a walk. Um, it's just been incredible, and and Melendez is the same. Where Melendez is actually striking out less and swinging and missing less. Um, it's it, let me put it in this perspective: MJ Melendez is hitting two seventy one, his OPS is ten sixty, his WRC plus is one eighty four, and his BABIP is two oh six. Like wow. typically, when we look at these guys, uh, who's a good example? Tyler Gentry, great example. One forty three WRC plus, he's hitting two seventy five. That's great. That is 464. Like, that's going to regress, and his numbers are going to come down. Melendez is just 206. If anything, you could argue, as hard as he hits the ball, that he has been unlucky hitting the ball in play. So um, it's insane what these kids are doing at 22 years old. And again, dude, they're in their age 22 season. Like, I think they both turned 23 sometime this year, but we, we go with, with prospects. We go July 1st is the cutoff. So these guys are 22 years old all year. I cannot express enough how big this is for the organization, not just with these two, but in terms of having faith they can develop other players, this is the key, and this will be the difference. And from now on, let's say they draft a high school shortstop this spring or this summer. I'm not afraid of them ruining them anymore. Like I've, yeah. like Prado and Melendez are the evidence that they can do it, and Bobby Witt Jr., even to an extent, has come a long way. Um, Again, proof that they can do it. And I cannot tell you how excited and how awesome that is to know as a Royals fan. It's wild to think that a season away from playing baseball benefited Nick Prado and MJ Melendez 
for the rest of their career. They they spent their entire summer at the alternate site, and sure they were getting their abs in. They were facing you know big league pitchers, you know, and Daniel Lynch and Jackson Coar and whoever else. And sure, those at bats they may not have counted, but the fact that they were able to make wholesale changes to approach swing whatever they needed to do. It's weird to think that I, I I don't think those changes would have been made how they played. They had gone to double A last year. I think we would have probably seen either similar results or marginally better, maybe just because they're another year older figuring things out. But these, I mean, this is some of the most drastic night and day differences in everything we've seen from Nick Prado and MJ Melendez, you know, little over two years, almost two years later. It's, it's wild. It, when you look at both of them, neither of them have had a higher walk rate in their career, and neither of them have had a lower strikeout rate in their career to this point. Now, again, we're still we're still dealing in a decent in a small sample, but the from what we're seeing, this is not an unsustainable level of production for either of them. So th- this isn't a flash in the pan, pan, awesome two weeks. I hope it's not, but it doesn't look like it's going to be based on what we've seen. It's remarkable what the Royals were able to do and what Nick and MJ were able to do. Because when you're 19, 20 years old, you're a first or second round pick and you go and just bomb in high A, that can end that can end some dude's career. Now, they may not stop playing baseball at 20, but you're never going to see them in the big leagues or you're never going to see them even produce a double A. So it's remarkable the their ability to make a mental reset and go, and now they're they're mashing in the Texas League right now. It's incredible to see. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, you, you said it perfectly. Like, I, I almost wonder if this won't make GMs in the future rethink like sending kids out all the time right away. Like, they have to be playing in games. Like, I, I think in some cases it's better to not be playing in games all the time. Um, so maybe this will have have guys rethinking that strategy because what these two have done is is just incredible and. It's really good to see, too, because they're great kids, and the organization needs them. Like, this organization will go in three years as Prado and Melendez and Bobby Witt Jr. go. So, really cool to see. I enjoyed – and I want to bring up a point real quick outside of the home runs and, and like, a, a, a anecdotal example of, of the changes. A ball that Nick Prado swings and misses at 100 times out of 100 in 2019. His second at bat on Sunday – after he hit a sack fly in his first at bat, he drives in Clay Dungan. His second at bat, there's a lefty on the mound. And, and by the way, Connor Thomas, I don't know anything about Connor Thomas, but I looked at his numbers, and he'd been tearing it up at double-A this year for the St. Louis, for the Springfield Cardinals, who always have a good team. The Cardinals do a good job of keeping their minor league teams loaded. Springfield Cardinals are always good. This lefty is throwing like 89-91, kind of a thumbing lefty, but he had a really good breaking ball. And when he threw his breaking ball on Sunday, he was having some success. His fastball was getting hit around a little bit. He threw Nick Prado. I believe it was a 1-1 slider. Don't hold me to that. Nick Prado almost double-clutched. Like, he went to swing at a fastball and almost, like, corrected himself and then swung and smashed a line drive into left center. Like, he identified the pit. He was swinging at a fastball. And by the way, we're talking in like 0.4 milliseconds. Yeah, absurd. absurd Identified that it wasn't a fastball 
and then spit on it and hammered it into left center field. He doesn't do that in 2019. There's no way. I watched him over and over and over again. He was so far out on his front foot, he would just flail at the pitch. He had no chance of hitting a breaking ball that he guessed wrong at. And he smashed this ball on Sunday. And, and I even kind of looked at my wife, and I just kind of laughed. And, and my wife, love her to death, baseball fan, um, didn't know what I was laughing at. Um, but it was just something I will, I will, you know, I'll remember for the next couple of years is that moment. I looked at my wife and I laughed because it was like a sign of, of like tangible change. Like the home runs are one thing. Like you can get lucky and run into a few home runs in a hot streak. But it was the hitting the single with authority the other way on a pitch that he guessed wrong at, or at least incorrectly identified the first time, fixed his swing, kept his hands back, kept his weight back, and then smoked it into left center. Um, we can move on to AAA because I could go on forever. But it was just – it was so good to see tangible change in their swings on Sunday this weekend. I just I, – I enjoyed the, the hell out of every minute of it. I know it's super exciting, just incredible stuff considering what we saw in Wilmington a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah, moving on to AAA. I mean, it's the Edward Olivares and Jackson Coar show. They they lost uh, they lost the series uh, one two out of five against the Iowa Cubs, but yeah, like I said, Edward Olivares he's still hitting right around four hundred OPS plus, or weighted runs created plus is right around it's like two thirty something stupid like that. But I I really want to focus in on Jackson Coar because yeah. Just go look at if you haven't seen our thread, follow us on Twitter at Royals Farm. Alex posted of like just clips of Jackson Kowar just bullying dudes with every pitch in his arsenal, curveball, fastball, changeup, and throwing his curveball with some confidence in advent, you know, advantageous or not even advantageous counts. We're seeing tangible improvement from him too early on, and he's been dominant so far in the PCL. Or AAA East, I guess is what it is now. Whatever, stupid. Yeah, the um, it's the PCL for a while. Yeah. Um, he, yeah. So I think the thing with Coar is so there are some that believe that Coar's biggest obstacle to development was the curveball, and then I actually tend to agree more with Marcus, who wrote a great piece for us this spring about how it was probably really his fastball and making sure his fastball wasn't, you know getting hit because you can throw your changeup all you want. You got to throw a fastball eventually. And Coars was getting hit a little bit. And Marcus wrote about how it was actually the development of his fastball. That was kind of the going to be the difference between Coar being a big league starter and reliever. I don't know that Coar did anything to his fastball to alter the pitch, but what he has done is started sequencing it better than I've ever seen. And maybe that's pitch calling. Maybe that's just strategy. Maybe it's just luck. Maybe it's a combination of things. But he was hammering his fastball in on lefties in that start against Iowa. Like, they didn't have a chance. And in and, and June, Royals June, the, our, our buddy from South Korea, I think everybody follows on Twitter, posted or he, he made a gift for us of Koar tunneling a fastball in and then a changeup riding back over the plate against the lefty they had no clue what was coming. It was the best I'd ever seen him use his fastball. And again, that's not even to say that he changed, fundamentally changed anything about his fastball, except for the way he was sequencing the pitch with his off-speed stuff on, uh, was that Saturday night? Um, that is absolutely bar none the best I've ever seen Kowar, and a lot of it had to do 
A, with the sequencing and the usage of his fastball, but B, the way he was commanding it, the I-Cubs had absolutely no chance at any point in time uh, to square it up. I really believe he's got one more start in AAA, if that. Like, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he joins the team here uh, pretty quickly. Um, like, like before he makes his next start, but if he goes out there and does that again, like if he goes out there again, what would that be, like Saturday or Friday this week um, and throws five, six more innings of one-run ball with eight, nine more strikeouts, the Royals are really going to have no choice but to bring him up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we, we've been – you, you and I have been super high on him since the Royals took him uh, in the 2018 draft with that great class, and it's really fun to see him produce, be successful, and just shove the way he has. It's, it's been a ton of fun. Uh, but we don't need to harp on that. We, we've, been, we've been typing him up for the better part of the last two weeks. Good week, as I mentioned at the beginning, good week down on the farm. Lots of good stuff. You got to watch the Northwest Arkansas Naturals. We know, like I said, just so cool to see what, what Nick and MJ were able to do and have been able to do over the first three weeks of the year. And Alex teased it earlier in the episode, but we are going to have a uh, Royals pitcher Christian Chamberlain on the show here after this break. He was the Royals fourth round pick last year out of Oregon state in the 2020 draft, just made his pro debut for quad city on Sunday through two scoreless saying he's got a couple punch outs. So talking about his big league debut, just like we did with Will Klein a couple weeks ago. We'll be right back. Alex and I are now joined by Christian Chamberlain. He was the fourth-round pick of the Royals in the 2020 draft out of Oregon State. Made his pro debut for Quad Cities on Monday. Uh, exciting time for the lefty, and we're, we're glad to have him on. Thanks for joining us, man. Absolutely, no problem. All right, so you pitched at Oregon State, powerhouse on the West Coast. Uh, I'm, wearing orange and, I'm wearing orange, but I got Oklahoma State, so I got you there. Um, Wrong OSU. Ah, well, not a couple of years ago. I think we went up to Corvallis and swept y'all. So I, I don't know about that. But you can uh, check the year before that. Ah, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Anyways, uh, pro. So what? You know, you're pitching out on the West Coast, one of the best teams in the country year in year out. You got to pitch in Omaha. Had a great, uh, if I remember correctly, a really impressive appearance against Arkansas in an elimination game. Uh, but what what was that experience like as a college player? That's what you dream of pitching in Omaha. Yeah, we'll we'll start there. Uh, obviously, Omaha is one of the best stages in baseball that you can pitch on, and was fortunate enough to have a good part in that College World Series run. And my job was as a reliever, and uh, I was kind of surprised I got the call in in that specific outing. It was Game One of the College World Series Finals. Um, came in and. I got the ball. I came in with bases loaded, uh, 2-0 count. Our starter left me with uh, the ball eight, ball eight chant coming in. And oh, no. <laughs> I was eight, 18 years old, and uh, it was a little hectic coming in and tried to make the most of it. And, I mean, got out there. Honestly, the adrenaline and everything that was going on, don't remember most of the outing, to be honest kind of just like blacked out on the mound like they were like oh you had like 11 strikeouts and it felt like I was out there for two seconds so I mean I went out there tried to do the best I could and help my team and obviously I saved the bullpen for the rest to make like that make that final run so it was pretty much to do everything I could and that's what I did so Christian, I don't want to say that that game against Arkansas was your was your coming out party because you were pretty good out of the bullpen um, 
all year in 2018 for the for the Beavers. Um, but I think maybe on a, on a national perspective, that was like the first time that I had heard ever heard your name, and for, probably for a lot of baseball fans, that that game against Arkansas. Um, you you go into your sophomore season in 2019 still in the bullpen. It wasn't until your junior year that it looked like you were gonna maybe make a make a full run as a starter. You know the Royals. We we've seen the Royals do this with guys a lot, like Brad Keller, take them in the Rule Five, put them in the bullpen, move them to the rotation. Um, what what are some things you think you learned? As cause I'm assuming you were a starter in high school. Anybody who ends up at Oregon State probably starting games. So. What are some things that when you went to the bullpen for the first time that you think you learned and, and took with you back to the rotation? So, so things you, things you learned in the pen that, that you, that you kind of take with you now. Uh, I'd say like the biggest thing would probably be the like aggressive mentality. Like you're in there to do a job and pretty much to do that one job. And I think that carries over as a starter. You're in there to get outs last as long as you can pretty much and put you in the best spot to win the game for for the relievers coming in obviously you got some more jobs setting up setting up pitches for guys that are coming in after you but I'd say that's the biggest thing and then just like the competitive aspect that's one of my best attributes and I think the bullpen really drives that I I remember I remember Duffy and Keller both saying something about that. Duffy got moved to the bullpen. I think it was in 2016, had one of his best seasons after that coming out, talking about attacking hitters a little more. Um, Obviously, 2020 got cut a little short. Um, You were dominant on the mound as a starter in those first four starts that you made for at Oregon State. And then the year gets shut down. You get drafted. Walk us through really your 2020. So, you're you're coming out as a starter. You're dominating in four games. You get drafted, and then there's no minor league ball, so it's it's kind of just wait around until instructs. So so take us through your 2020 season. Uh, so 2020, I had that uh, final outing and kind of got kind of got shut down with the college season. We were actually on the plane head down to Arizona. They uh, reparked the plane, let our whole team off. And then went back and we actually practiced. And I, I knew it was our last game and probably my last game in the orange and black. And uh, first thing I did, honestly, was ask to hit BP. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Did it, what, 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 were, what were the hacks like? Oh, they didn't let me. Ah, I was hoping. <laughs> but... Um, and then after that, stayed in Corvallis for probably two weeks and then tried to head back home, see some family and stuff and get like the home life squared away. Cause I mean, I didn't know what was going to happen for like in the future and kind of want to spend as much time with like my loved ones as I could. And so I went back home and then when draft came around, it was pretty hectic time. I mean, uh got called a little earlier than the Royals didn't take it and then uh I actually agreed to the pick after to the Blue Jays and then I I found out I was going to the Royals on TV so that was a kind of a hectic time but exciting at the same time and I I'm glad I landed with one of the best organizations in baseball I've heard stories like that um 
in fact, I was, I won't, I won't name names. There's another pitcher that in the, in the org I was talking to about their draft day. And it was like, yeah, he's like, I agreed to a deal with the Houston Astros and got a call <laughs> in the middle of the draft. It was like, Hey, this is so-and-so the Kansas city Royals. And we just drafted you. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so I can imagine then because I'm, I'm, I'm sure with the, with the pandemic going on, you didn't have a, well, I mean, you may have, but did you, did you have like a draft party like traditionally, or were you just kind of sitting at home, just fielding phone calls? Uh, kind of just sitting at home, fielding phone calls. I had maybe like one or two of my like good friends over, but that was pretty much it. And you, I'm assuming with your, with talking with your agent, you knew it was going to happen there pretty soon. Yeah. That's cool. So then you get drafted. So what was that conversation like afterwards? Because I know even at the time of the draft, they didn't have like plans. Um, they, I don't think they had plans at all for like what an instructs look like. So what did your training regiment look like between the draft and going down to instructs? What was that? September? Uh, yeah, right around there. I took some time off right after college <clears throat> season. And then picked it up, kind of coming into the draft, uh, like working my arm routine, getting back into the throwing program. And then once I got picked, started picking it back up, and they mentioned the idea of an instruct, so was trying to be ready for that. And, uh, I mean, with minor league baseball and professional baseball in general, like, you don't really get that much of a heads up, and... Uh, we had a Zoom call probably a week before, and they're like, "You guys are on a plane. You'll be down here. You'll be down here soon." So that's crazy. Yeah. That, I, mean, I can't imagine having to deal with with the uncertainty of all that, and you know everything we've heard about you is just raving reviews that you know got your fastball up in the ninety seven, and then I, somebody said it was ninety eight the other day in your professional debut. Is that true? Did you get a ninety eight in there? Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome, man. So that's good stuff. I think it was. I think it was Kyle Bodie was talking about how this 2020 season is going to make or break a lot of guys, and it's going to be the guys who work are going to shine, and the guys who don't are going to fall off. And you know, it's pretty clear from all signs so far that you got your work in. But I can't imagine that was any kind of normal or any kind of comfortable uh, the last 12 months or so. I uh, know, kind of a, just like an unusual year, pretty much, but uh, something that I've never been through, but an exciting time at the same at the same time that's going on. So, yeah, no doubt. So we talked to Will Klein a couple of weeks ago about making that pro debut and hopping on a on a professional mound for the first time, and he said he was good until he hit the rubber, and then it was like, oh shit, this is professional baseball. Did, what what was that moment like stepping on the mound for you? I mean, you got you got two scoreless, couple punchies, so it seems like the nerves weren't too bad. But what what was that like for the first time? Ah, uh, honestly, I'm not one to pretty much overthink anything, and I kind of go out there and compete. Uh, so I wouldn't say I had too many nerves going into it and I kind of just trusted my ability, but obviously there's, there's going to be some nerves going into your first professional outing and kind of got those jitters out of the way after I threw my first strike and kind of went, went after that. And with a good extended spring training that I had good spring training, I mean, I felt confident and was confident as can be go, like stepping on that rubber. 
That's awesome. So did you know, like, how, how far out in advance did you know you were going to be pitching uh, the other day? Is that, is that something that's planned out? Or was that, like, bullpen phone rings and it's, Christian, it's time for you to get up and go? Uh, I, had a, I had a few days warning. Um, but the, the flight here was a little bit of a surprise. Didn't really know that one. You weren't like, I mean, you knew when you got on the plane where you were going, right? Like you, you didn't get kidnapped or nothing. No, I didn't get kidnapped. I knew where I was going. I knew where I was going for a while, but uh, I mean, just like the flight in general, uh, kind of had like probably a 12, 15 hour notice and hey, you're getting a flight at 7 a.m. and uh, <laughs> tomorrow and... <laughs> That, that's a welcome to pro ball right there. Just, hey, get up. You're going, you're going to Davenport, Iowa. <laughs> yep. I met them on the road, too. Oh, that's so. right. They're in Peoria. That's right. Where, where are y'all off to next? Uh, we're currently in Dayton, Ohio. Okay. All right. Well, Alex, do you have anything else? I think that's it, man. Uh, Christian, thanks for joining us. Um, you know, we always love to hear the the professional, the, you, your guys' stories making your debut. And, hey, you're getting on a plane in 15 hours, a pretty good one. That's a I, – I can honestly say I've never been been rushed out of anywhere that fast. So, uh, that's pretty cool, man. Um, congratulations. Uh, we'll be watching, and I appreciate you. We, we appreciate you joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. A couple things before we get you out of here. We ask this question to everybody that we have on this show. Uh, if you could go back and watch one moment of baseball history live, you're there in person, you got a ticket, whichever, wherever your dream spot is, what moment are you watching? Uh, 2018, Oregon State, one of the College World Series. That would be interesting. I mean, you, you're watching that from the dugout. I mean, so I'd be curious to, uh, like, where, where are you sitting to watch that moment? Are you, are you out in the bleachers way out in left center? Like out with like the the bleacher creatures out there, or where where are you sitting for that? I'm right back in the dugout. Fair enough, hey. That you know, I guess winning a natty in Omaha, like that, that's a moment I would never not want to relive. So I, I totally, I get where you're coming from with that. Absolutely, man. I need to get back to Omaha. I was there in 2016 when when OSU was there, and man, that was one of one of the most fun experiences as a fan I've ever had at a a baseball like at any baseball game, tons, tons of fun. That, that was the year that uh, Coastal Carolina came out of nowhere and won. That was pretty cool. Absolutely. When you get the right Oregon State shirt. Ah, I mean, if you get me a shirt, I'll rep, but like, I'm not going to buy it myself. <laughs> Before we get you out of here, uh, you, are you on social media at all? I am. All right, go ahead and pl plug your, your Twitter. We'll get your followers up a little bit. Perfect. What's your, oh. what's your, what's your handle? <laughs> Uh, it is at C H R I S S C C two. All right, we will. Uh, we'll be sure to plug that on Twitter and all that. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight again, Christian. Uh, best of luck the rest of the way, and hopefully, we'll talk to you later this year. Perfect. I appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs>